Okay, I think we'll just open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this day that we can come and praise you and just worship you and acknowledge you as our Lord and King. Lord, we thank you for every provision that you have within our lives that you have made for us. And we thank you that you are, are there with us all the time. We just pray this morning as we come to your word. We just pray, Lord, that your word will go forth and, Lord, that you will speak to to different people in in different ways. Lord, I just pray that as your vessel, help me to be clear and concise. And, Lord, I just pray that uh, we glorify you this morning. Amen. Well, our text this morning is from Proverbs and it's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. Now, coming into this youth service, I was considering the fact that my current run as youth leader is coming to an end. And being in this position, I've been looking back and thinking about the privilege that we've had and the many young people that Lisa and I have been fortunate to come and know. We've had the pleasure to serve them, but not only that, we've also been ministered to by them. It's been a sort of a two-way street type of thing. And similarly, we have also had a number of people stand beside us and we've been side by side with them as we've um, been in the youth ministry. There is certainly something to be said about serving the Lord as a team and I believe that is how God designs most ministry. Not so much the one-man band thing, but rather a group of people who have one another's backs and they share together in the joy and the hard work that is involved. We've also had many people support us through opening up their homes, making their time and resources available and just generally uh, being there when we've called upon them. We've also had encouragement and gratitude from parents and from other people as well. And I also know that many people have prayed for the youth group as a whole and also have been praying for people within the group individually. Now when I was considering what to bring this morning from God's word, I was struck with the thought of why don't I share one of my favourite youth group messages that I've brought before. So as I thought about this, one message stuck, stuck out and it was a message that was somewhat simple in nature but yet it was very, very practical. And this message was based on Proverbs 22 verse 3. So I'm just going to read through a few different versions. It's a very short verse and I've got three different versions there for us to read through. So from the New King James Version, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. From the NIV, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And finally from the New Living Translation. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Now there is another verse in Proverbs a little bit later on in Proverbs 27.12 and it's very similar. In fact it's pretty much word for word so we won't um, go into that one but it's it's the same verse technically and I've titled today's message Danger Ahead 
And as we go through, you will see why. It's all about looking ahead to what God's standard is for any given scenario. It's about how we can set limits for ourselves and try to avoid breaking God's standard. Now I originally heard this message at a men's event. It was a breakfast and this guy he brought a short word. The speaker, he he was a pastor, he was talking about how he had ministered to a number of Christian guys who had managed to fall spectacularly from grace. They had fallen into sin in a big way and the consequences for them were quite severe. And he didn't actually present their predicaments but he, he said, he sort of shared with us what he was thinking at the time that he was pastoring them. And he was thinking things like, what were you thinking? What did you expect would happen if you headed down that path? And he was thinking that these guys, when they're in those situations, that they're in a place that they had no right to be. And then he brought us this verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 22. And how he explained how with a bit of foresight and forward planning, we can avoid heading down the same road or heading down a road that would lead us to grief. And when I heard this message, I thought, well, this is quite a good, easy, practical message and it would be very helpful for our youth. So I decided, right, I will bring it together and present it to our youth. So I pretty much regurgitated the format, added a few things in, took some stuff out and developed it into a youth talk. Now this was a few years ago now, I was trying to remember exactly when we spoke about this and I think it might have been about four or five years ago. So probably most of the current youth have not heard this message. For anyone who does remember the message, it's hopefully an opportunity for you to evaluate um, how you went when it came to setting boundaries for yourself. Now this morning I'm going to present this word more in a way in which I would present it to the youth. So it will be sort of little less like a sermon and a bit more like a youth talk. And I'll also be using an example that is probably seen to be very relevant for, for the youth. But at the same time, the example I'm going to be using um, is something that can be a snare to us older ones as well. So we're going to be talking about the temptation of promiscuity and this is an issue that our teenagers can face. And as we know, it can lead to all sorts of serious consequences. Now, of course, sexual impropriety is not just a battle that teenage Christians face, but it is also one that older Christians can face in one way or in another. And the beauty of the principle that is presented to us in Proverbs is that it's applicable for any temptation we may face or any situation that we may face in life. The secret is recognising the danger and preparing for it. Now the other good thing about this morning's message is that it's a good follow-up on the last sermon I preached, which was at our last youth service. Last time I shared, we spoke on Haggai chapter 2 and we looked at verses 10 to 19. God talked to the people of Jerusalem about holiness and then he pointed out to them that they were unclean. Throughout scripture we see that God calls on his people to be holy. Uh, One such scripture is found in 2 Corinthians 7 uh, and verse 1. 
Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There are many other similar calls to be holy throughout God's word. But the question we constantly ask ourselves is, how can I be holy? I know myself better than anyone else and, I, and even though I won't admit it, I know that I'm not perfect. In fact, even though I won't admit it, I know I'm not even as good a person as I portray myself to be. So when we looked at Haggai 2, we came to a couple of conclusions. First of all, we, we came to the conclusion that personal holiness is not perfection or the pursuit of perfection. When we think about personal holiness, we can sometimes think that we have to attain perfection. God does not call us to be perfect. He knows our condition, he knows what we're like and he loves us. God is perfect and everything that he does is done perfectly and to his perfect design. So rather, holiness is the condition of our spirits and our soul and it's our inward nature. What our holiness on a daily basis looks like is our moment by moment need for the blood of Jesus Christ to atone to, to atone, or to make good for the misjudgments that we make, the sin that we commit by thought or deed. Now the process to make someone holy is called sanctification and this is the process that God uses to make us holy. And we can read about that in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 13. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and the belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of glory of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation does not start and end with our conversion to Christianity. It is an ongoing process. We don't just believe in Jesus and then that's it, we've achieved that unit standard. It's not like we can say that Right, I have unit standard number 316, conversion to Christ level 1. I have the certificate. I can now store that away with all my other important paperwork and move on. Our salvation isn't an event. It's an ongoing, day by day, moment by moment process. We are saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He called us to this by the gospel, which is God's saving message that is available to all mankind. And why did he do this? For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we all have a bit of a part to play in all of this. And I draw your attention back to our earlier reading of James 4. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
And that's from James 4 verses 7 to 8. Submission to God and drawing near to him will certainly help with our personal holiness. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what's the biggest threat that we have from the devil? It's temptation. When we submit to temptation, we end up in sin. And this sin can have consequences and it can lead us to all sorts of grief. So when it comes to seeking personal holiness, one of the biggest challenges that we face is temptation. We face temptation constantly to do things that we know are outside the will of God. And the central part of this morning's message will hopefully give us one practical approach in how to deal with temptation. Particularly when it comes to what we might consider in our own way of thinking a major sin. How can we avoid that? How do we avoid getting into a place that we had no right to be in? Now, coming back to the youth, one of the good things that I've found about working with teenagers is that they are usually pretty good at giving feedback. In fact, sometimes the feedback flows quite freely. You can tell when they're enjoying themselves. You can tell when they're getting bored or zoning out. Just looking around, checking. If they're not happy, this is usually pretty evident. Now, one of the teenage expressions that I've enjoyed the most is the expression of exasperation. It's that groan when you ask them to do something or when you tell them one of your best dad jokes. Now, you might not know this about me, but I enjoy the sport of rugby union and I enjoy all levels of the game. I'm so bad that I'm one of those guys that if I had Sky TV and if there was any way possible that I could get away with it, I would be subscribed to the rugby channel. Not only could I sit there and watch the latest match, but I would really enjoy sitting there and watching matches from eras gone by. The 1985 Auckland vs Canterbury ran Shield game. Who remembers that? <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> the Bladderslow matches of 2000, one of them called the greatest game of all time. I could sit there for hours and watch that. Needless to say, someone else in my household has vetoed all my attempts to get Sky Sport and the Rugby Channel. It's not going to happen. I've given up on that dream. Now, occasionally the enjoyment of the game has spilt over into the youth group notices. I do my very best to keep your young people up to date on the latest about the All Blacks, the Hurricanes and even our very own Wanganui representative team. Do you know what I've discovered? Did you know that our current youth have an interest in rugby that ranges from not really interested to... (laughs) It was getting to the stage that as soon as I started to speak about next week's big game at Cook's Gardens, there would be a collective groan. I finally got the message after about 18 months 
and I don't quite, I don't quite talk so much about rugby on Friday nights anymore. Now, this morning I'm going to use a couple of analogies which will help us to visualise our central message. And the first one, and I'm going to be waiting for the groan, involves rugby. No groan. (laughs) As you all know, Richie McCaw retired from professional rugby just the other day. But a few years ago he appeared on a sports show and he was talking about demonstrating how he plays the offside line. Now I tried to track down this video clip, I used it when I talked about this with the youth group and it was really quite good and it was really quite a good way to visualise and explain our, um, what we were trying to explain. But it was a few years ago and it somehow disappeared completely off the internet so I will try and explain it to you. So the presenter of this show, what he did was he drew a line on the whiteboard and he turned to Richie and he said to him, if that's the offside line, whereabouts do you play? Whereabouts do you position yourself? And Richie, he took the pen and he drew a little dot and it was right on that line. In fact, it was pretty much touching that line. And he said to the presenter, I play as close as I possibly can to that line. I am playing right on that line. So Richie's tactic when it comes to entering a ruck or a mall or when he's contesting for the ball was to play right on the offside line. He would get as close as he possibly could to that line, as close as he legally could to that line. Now this is of no surprise to some of you. This aspect of Richie's game has drawn much attention around the rugby world. Now some commentators have said that he is a tactical genius. He knows how to play on the brink of the rules and this is one of the reasons why he is the champion player that he is. Others have been a little bit less gracious and sort of used the word cheat and talk about how he seems to constantly get away with bending the rules. Either way, this style of play is one aspect of Richie McCaw's game that has made him so successful. One thing that I've observed is that with Richie playing right on the line, there are times when he does find himself on the wrong side of the line and he is penalised. Not very often, but there are times. Quite often we use this analogy when it comes to living our lives or when we're facing a challenge or when we're setting off on an endeavour. Often we are encouraged to live our lives in the same manner that Richie McCaw plays his rugby. And there's all sorts of mottos and uh, sayings out there that encourage this attitude. Things like, those who dare win, live life to the full, live life on the edge. However, there is a time when it is unwise to live on the edge. There is a time when existing just on the this side of the offside line is unwise. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. When it comes to temptation and when it comes to sin, we need to foresee these things as danger. It is wise for us to really think about them We need to consider what God's standard is 
and it is helpful for us to work out where it is wise to draw the line on certain issues that we may face. If we do choose to live on the edge of sin, we will find that we don't have much leg room and if we make a mistake, we may even go over the edge. So let's flesh this out a little bit. So just imagine that the edge of this stage is where God's standard is. A topical issue that we can use for the youth is the boy and girlfriend romantic relationship. And it's also a very easy example for us in demonstrating this principle. First of all, we need to identify any potential hazards that may come up in this situation. So if we turn to God's word and in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a bit of a, um identification of a hazard that may come up. So reading from verse 9 to 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look further on down in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 18 it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Basically God says in his word, don't have sex outside of marriage. So that is one potential hazard if you are in a boyfriend or girlfriend relationship. So let's say that the edge of this stage is God's standard of no sex outside of marriage. So the first thing we need to do is recognise the danger. We have to recognise that if we cross that line, if we end up down here somewhere, we're in a place that we shouldn't be, it's not very good and it's going to cause us a bit of trouble. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences, spiritual consequences, emotional consequences and possibly physical consequences. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. So we need to think through this scenario that we have and we have to work out where we're going to draw the line for ourselves. Now, for example, we might think that, okay, I'm going to draw the line here somewhere. I'm going to say that it's okay that if I go canoodling with my boyfriend or girlfriend in a secluded place because technically I don't think that I am crossing that line and I think that that's the standard I should draw. Now the problem is, is if we draw the line at that stage we are going to be right next to where the edge is. So if we make a simple mistake we are not far away from going over the edge. So we might want to rethink that. So we might come back here a little bit and we might draw the line here and we might say okay, I'm going to draw the line at this point, that it's okay that if I give my boyfriend or girlfriend the occasional peck on the cheek. So we might draw the line there. Or we may even come back a little bit further and we might say, I'm going to draw my line here. It's okay if while we're out we hold hands. So we might call that the place where we draw the line. Now, 
if you are dating one of my daughters, what we have to do is we have to come here, we have to push this wall right back because your line's way back there, sunshine. You don't have to think through it too much. Your line is that you can occasionally smile in her direction. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, that nonsense better not carry on for too long, much longer either. So, I'm not looking. (laughs) I don't know if they're smiling at me. (laughs) It's that youth exasperation problem that I have. I'll have to draw some lines, I think. Okay, the important thing is, is how far away from this offside line have we set our limit? If we live our lives in this sort of situation, like Richie McCaw plays his rugby, and it's okay for Richie McCaw to play his rugby like that, but it's not such a good idea for us. And if we're walking along this line and living here, we are just one slip away from going over the edge. If we've drawn our line back here somewhere, if we make a mistake, if we make a slip, we may stumble, but hopefully we're still miles away from the edge. So if we've drawn the line in the sand back there somewhere, if we make a mistake or if we stumble, then we have given ourselves some wriggle room without the risk of making a huge mistake that we may regret. There might be a bit of embarrassment. There might be the need for some amends to be made, either with the Lord or with other people. We may even have to rethink our line and consider what we need to do so that we don't find ourselves in the same situation again. But at the end of the day, we've had a stumble instead of falling over the edge. Nobody has lost an eye. Of course, the further back we make our standard, the further from the edge that we are, the bigger the safety net that we have. And another point to make is that we may find that the closer to the edge we get, the slipperier the slope is. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. We encourage the youth to think about issues that they may face. Consider all the implications Search out what God says about it. Set yourselves some realistic standards that will ensure your safety. And it's probably good advice for all of us. We don't want to end up like the fool. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. The fool doesn't perceive where God's standard is. He doesn't think on what he will do in different situations. He doesn't draw a line in the sand. He wanders on blindly through life and when he does go over the edge, he wonders, how on earth did I get here? Now, this principle is applicable further afield than the example that I've just used. There are many other aspects of life that we experience and we all have weaknesses that we battle with. Uh, some examples that I just thought of, if we're still looking at the, the, the sexual example, there's things like flirtation and pornography. We need to step, set in lines and and boundaries there, there's things like alcohol and drugs, gambling, even things on how we, like how we spend our free time. We might be tempted to shelve our worship and follow after other things like sports or leisure 
or spend every waking moment watching rugby. The thing is, is to foresee the dangers that we may face and take precautions. Don't just wander blindly into trouble. Now expanding on this thought, I want to briefly look at a couple of other things. I want to ask you the question, are we warning others when we see danger ahead of them? The other day, and it was just on Thursday, I was working in a huge mechanical workshop and it was my first time on the site, I'd never been there before and we had quite a big complicated job that we had to do. So I was looking around all over the place, I was trying to locate alarm hardware and um, control boxes and things like that and my mate came up to me and he just quietly said to me, watch out for those pits. See I'd been so focused on what I was doing I'd seen, you know, there was trucks and there was equipment and there was stuff everywhere and I was sort of looking up and around. I hadn't really noticed that there were some big mechanical pits right there where I could easily have stood off, stepped off them. Now, without my mate's little word of warning, I could have easily been distracted and I could have walked into a great deal of pain and no doubt a mountain full of health and safety paperwork. Are we looking out for our mates? Do we stand beside our Christian brothers and sisters? Do we know them well enough so that we know what's going on in their life? And if we can see that they are heading into danger, do we care enough to speak a warning to them in an appropriate manner? And what about non-believers? Are we looking out for others who are outside of Christ? These people can also be mates, they can be family, they can be acquaintances or even people we don't know. And in these cases we are mainly wanting to warn them of the danger of being lost, the danger of not having a relationship with God. Sure we can help and advise them on how to approach something like a gambling addiction but the biggest problem they have is being separated from the living God. Not only is there danger ahead for them, but they are living in danger now. Paul encouraged the Philippians to work towards unity and love. He encouraged them to put aside selfish ambition and conceit and in humility not only consider their own interests, but the interests of others. So this is from Philippians chapter 2 and it's verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfil my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. As believers, we should be looking out for the interests of our fellow believers. We should desire to see each other grow spiritually. Now part of that is to recognise and warn of danger when it comes. Now this can be done through teaching and training 
we can have topical conversations on how to deal with things like romantic relationships. We can go through the scripture and discuss different aspects of real life situations. And where can we do this? Well, we can do it in small groups, we can do it in special workshops, we can have seminars, we can do it from the pulpit, or we could just simply do it as a chat over tea and bickies with friends. However, I believe that as well as teaching, there is also a need for each of us to be in a strong personal relationships with other believers. When we develop good friendships with other believers, we get to know their strengths and their weaknesses. We get a closer view of their journey and we come to appreciate the dynamics of it. And it also gives us a platform on which we can speak to them when we see danger looming. We see that they're heading the wrong way or are distracted and don't notice a pitfall right in front of them. We can give them a gentle word of warning or if it's appropriate we can give them a loud wake up call. Let's turn to some scripture. And I'm just going to read through these. Um, I think they're up there so you can take a note of them if you want to refer to them later. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labour. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. And how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. And here's a couple more going back to Proverbs from Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And a little bit further back in Proverbs 25.11 A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And finally in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 But exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. In closing I want to bring us back to our opening verse and I hope there, there has been some helpful and encouraging things within this message for you to take away. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 3 A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. I hope that the wisdom given in God's word today has given you a practical way to live out your personal holiness, particularly in how to avoid going over the edge in regards to temptation or different situations that we may face. I hope also that you are encouraged to look out for the interests of others, warning them of dangers when you see it. Let us pray.
Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you have put in there everything that we could possibly need. I thank you that you speak wisdom to us and you give us wisdom through different ways through your word. Lord, I pray that as we think on situations and different things that we may face as we go about our daily lives, Lord, may we turn to your word, may we see where you stand on certain issues and Lord, may we exercise wisdom and Lord, work out where we want to draw the line and where we need to draw the line to keep ourselves safe. Lord, I pray also that we look out for each other, that Lord, that we will have others' interests at heart as well. Lord, I just pray that you will continue to grow strong bonds within our fellowship, Lord, that we will make good friends, that Lord, that we will stand beside one another and support one another and be there for one another, Lord, in good times and in bad. And Lord, also just give us the courage when we need to, to to speak into one another's lives as well. I pray that your spirit will continue to be with us and go with us wherever we go this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.